Praise his name. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. It's my own. No, God, uh, God always knows what he's doing. Today I want the sermon to be nothing but encouraging. Our songs were nothing but encouraging. Pat um, said the purpose was to encourage. And it's, you know, it's one of our favorites here. You don't know when, you don't know how, but he'll do it again. I was struck again by the words of what we sang this morning. It says, to this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. I don't know where everybody is today. I know where I am. I know where I am in my own heart, in my own mind. I know the sadness and the depression and the, the fears and the things that overwhelm me, and I don't know about you. Some of you know, you, let, you open up and you let uh, us know from time to time, but I would imagine that for a majority of us, we may be living in fear today, afraid of the future, afraid of health reasons, afraid of finances, afraid of you know, where the government's going and, and what's going to happen to us. And, and, you know, am I ever going to find the one? Am I ever going to this? Am I ever going to that? And, and can God and is he able to? And the, quest, the answer actually is, yes, he's able to. The question is, do we believe it? Do I actually believe that God is able to do what he said he would do? In the book of Isaiah, God says this, to whom will you compare me? Let, let me know who you can compare me to. Is it the guy that you go to who makes an idol out of gold? Is that the guy? Is that, is that idol? Is he like me? And if you're too poor to go to a guy that can make an idol out of gold and you go and make one out of wood, is that idol compared to me? Because I'm the one who set the starry host. I'm the one who holds the ocean in his hands. And that, that word picture has really struck me because this, uh, this past Friday, and we do want to congratulate Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Diaz here today. Nick and Ken Lee got married Friday night. They're with us. I'm shocked that you're here with us, but welcome. Amen. That's the work that God has done. But we were at Long Branch, Long Branch, and I was on the upper deck, the beautiful place they got married at, and I was looking at the ocean, and I was thinking about how vast it is. I mean, you can see so far out, you actually see the curvature. And I thought about the massive amount of water within that one body. And then you count the Pacific and the Indian and the North and all this and all the water that's on the earth. And the Bible says that God is so big and God is so great that in one hand, he holds all of that and still has room left over. That's how great our God is. And how often we lose sight because I'm looking with 
my physical eyes of what's in front of me. We need to often ask God, give me the eyes of Elisha. Help me to see what's really out there. Now, we may not see chariots of fire. If you do, let me know. Because we probably need to switch roles. Something's something's wrong with me, right? Um, But we can be assured that they're there. That God tells us in the book of Hebrews that he has his angels are watching over us. As a matter of fact, we've probably encountered them and we didn't even know it. That God really is watching over us. So I want to encourage you today in the word of God because I need to encourage myself. That we can have confident fellowship with God. Confident fellowship with God. Our text today is the book of 1 John chapter 1. I would ask you to stand as we would read from God's most holy word. Let's first pray. Father, we thank you that you are God and we're not. We thank you, Lord God, that your word tells us that you, that in you, Every single thing in this world holds together. That absolutely nothing escapes your presence. Nothing happens under the radar. But your word tells us that even our hearts are laid bare before God, in which whom, in essence, all people stand naked. Because you see everything, even the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. So we thank you, Lord God, that you are there. You really are an ever-present help in the time of trouble. That you are a God who is near and not far off. That you have plans for us that are not to harm us, but for a future and a hope. That you have made us citizens, not of this world, but of heaven itself. And so, Father, I pray that the hope of your word if we need encouragement today, if we need hope today, that the truth of your word would give just that this day for the edification of your saints and for the glory of Christ, we ask it. Amen. This is what God says to us today, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ." And we are writing these things so that your, our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, 
We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I hope that we'll see three, three things today. I hope I clearly communicate three things today. The proclamation, the purpose, and the procurement. The proclamation, the purpose, and the procurement. The proclamation, John, who obviously has others, is writing. He writes the letters, but is obviously writing with others in mind because he says, we write to you. He says, that which was from the beginning, from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. He begins with a doctrinal truth that cannot be overlooked, that has to be foundational. He says, that which was from the beginning. What is from the beginning? The gospel. The gospel, the good news, is from the beginning. And you may be saying to yourself, no, it's Jesus is from the beginning. Well, David David, uh, Jackman correctly states in his commentary... Christ is the gospel. The person and the message must be held together. When you hear good news, gospel, Jesus Christ, the good news is equal to Jesus Christ. There is no separation. John tells us that Jesus, the word of God, the good news was always there. John 1, uh, verse, John The book of John, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The writer of Hebrews, if you remember in our study of Hebrews, what a great book Hebrews is, what a book of encouragement Hebrews is for us, and what Christ has done for us, and what Christ has secured for us, tells us this. If you remember in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, that is Jesus, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. And if you remember, that word world is not not the, the terra firma of which we live, but of the ages of aeon, of the ages of history. Jesus was before the world was. When you read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us that was the work of Jesus Christ. He created the world. He always was. Jesus was not created, but he always eternally existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That is a foundational truth. To believe otherwise is to believe the error of Arius. And I'm not talking about Lord S. That's not you. Uh, whose happens, last name happens to be Arius. Um, he was a, a guy who believed that because the Bible says he's the first begotten over creation and all of those things that Jesus is created. Jesus was not created. Jesus always existed. Forever Jesus has existed. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 tells us this. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. That's where he gets his error from. It's just saying that he was there before creation. 
For by him all things were created in him, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is sovereign over every molecule of this universe. How wrong we go and we let our emotions take over and we look at what's in front of us and what our, our, our mind and our hearts are going and not saying, you know what, Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. John says this truth we proclaim to you, which was from the beginning, and he gives three objective evidences for him stating this. Look again at what he says in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, it would say, of course, John, you were an apostle. Of course you heard Jesus. Of course you saw Jesus. Of course you touched Jesus. You were literally with him. But John uses the word here, we have heard, is akuo, of which we can understand the word acoustics. But it's not here like, I hear you. Parents, do we, uh, we've probably said to ourselves, do you hear what I'm saying to you? Right? We know that we mean, I don't want you just to hear my words. There better be something behind what you hear. And really what John is saying, that which we have heard, that which we have come to know, that which we have come to obey. We have heard the word of life physically. We've heard him, and through his words, we have come to know. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing is by the word of God. They, we hear the word of God. They heard the word of God. He says, not only have we heard but we have seen. We've seen. It's not the usual word blepo to see, but harao. He says, we see with understanding. As we've observed Jesus physically, we were able to understand. We evaluated his life. We watched him, and he has proven to be true. Jesus said it's these two things which separate the apostles from other people. In Luke chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Luke 10, 23 and 24. He said, so we have seen, we have heard, and we have seen. This we testify to you. He's saying, these things are true. We've heard it, we've seen it, and not only that, we have touched. The word touched. Don't ask me how to say that word in Greek anymore because I, I, it's beyond me. But that word is literally, we literally have touched. John was the one who laid on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. But probably what John has in mind, more likely, is after 
the resurrection of Jesus when he appeared to them and they weren't sure, Jesus said what? Here, touch my hands. Touch my side. This is real. I'm here. There is empirical evidence, John is saying, for what we proclaim to you. We're not making something up. This is true and this is real and we proclaim it to you. He says, we proclaim to you the word of life. The word of life. Better translated, the word which is life. The word which is life. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, passage we know very well. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the word of life made manifest. Jesus is the word of life made manifest, he tells us. That is, that what was in the spiritual has now come into the physical. He is able to be seen. He is able to be heard. He is able to be touched. Why did Jesus come into the world? This should be our encouragement. This is what we hold on to. John tells us later on in the epistle, he says this in 1 John 3, 5, he says, you know that he, Jesus, the word which is life, which was made manifest, has appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sins. The first reason that Jesus came into the world was to deal with the issue that stood between you and God, between me and God, our sin. He says he's come to take away sin, to do away with sin. And only in Jesus Christ can sins be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And it is only the blood of Christ which forgives sins. The second reason, John says, that Jesus was made manifest, that the word which is life came into the world, is this in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came into this world for two reasons. To remove from you, if you're his child, the power of sin. And he will remove from you the presence of evil. Now, the presence of evil is going to be removed when Christ returns again. The power of sin has been destroyed. The power of death is destroyed, which is the work of the devil. Listen again what John says. He says, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He repeats himself. He says, I'm telling you again. And I testify, martyrio, it means to witness through firsthand knowledge. By the way, that's where we get our word martyr from. Martyr is someone who gives their life for a cause. You want to read about people who stood fast 
who did not move, stood firm, as Paul told the church in Philippi and other churches to stand firm to faith. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. People who have died horrible deaths. They testified to the truth of Jesus Christ, and they were immovable in it. He says, we testify to you. We witness through firsthand knowledge and we proclaim to you, apangelio, we announce or inform you of the eternal life. We're telling you about eternal life. Where did this eternal life come from? John says, which was, which was with the Father. Jesus has coexisted eternally with the Father from the beginning of time. And he was made manifest. John is repeating himself. I'm making it clear to you. I've heard, I've seen, I've touched. He was made manifest. I've heard, I've seen, I touched. He's made manifest. And this is what I'm proclaiming to you. This, by the way, is the same message we proclaim to others. Did I see Jesus? No. But do I understand Jesus? Yes, he's let me know. Have I heard Jesus? Yes, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing is by the word of God. And can I testify to this truth? Is this truth so in you that you are willing to die for it? Because if we're not willing to die for it, what makes me think I'm going to be willing to obey for it? Makes no sense, right? Either I have to really believe this or I don't. John is saying, I am absolutely testifying to you the truth. It was made manifest. Fonareo, caused to be seen. What is this eternal life? What is it? Well, Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, writes this. It's the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentile are the riches of His glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How has Jesus made Himself manifest to us today? By Christ in us, the hope of glory. Do you have the hope of glory today? Are you confident today without question, without one second of wavering, that if you were to drop dead in the pew right now, how encouraging is that, right? That you drop dead right now, that your next sight, the next thing you see is Jesus Christ seated on the throne. Are you confident of that? If you waver on that, if you are not sure, you need to settle that question. It should be a not, it should be, Absolutely. Paul was absolutely convinced at the end of his life. He says, now is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give me on that day. And I, I don't know when Paul wrote that. Actually, time why we don't know. But I wonder if Paul is, you know, hey, Paul, tomorrow you die. Hey, Timothy, here's a letter for you in complete confidence. And you know what? His final words. They walked him out. He put his head on a block and they cut his head off. Paul actually got off easy. 
Others didn't fare so well. Read the book of Hebrews chapter 11. But what does Hebrews 11 tell us they were confident of? What were they looking for? A city and builder whose maker was God. They realized that their citizenship is not here in this world, but rather it's in heaven. That's the proclamation that John gives. He says the purpose of this proclamation, the purpose is this. It's verses 3 and 4. And he repeats himself a third time. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Here's the purpose. So that you too, you also, may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He says, we write these things to you so that we would have fellowship with you. Fellowship, we know the word koinonia, close mutual association. He says that we would have fellowship with us, that you would be able to fellowship with us, that you would be able to enjoy and have deep, close, mutual affection and togetherness in the eternal life made manifest in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, the greatest possession that you have is Jesus. And you can only enjoy and share that with like-minded people. The people of the world cannot enjoy Jesus like you can. They don't. They refuse to. Matter of fact, the Bible says the carnal mind cannot and will not accept the things of God. But those to whom the word of life is made manifest, their greatest fellowship, their greatest... the. Depths of their emotions are around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we share. And that's what we have in common. And that's the very thing that Paul warned the church in Philippi. Don't lose. Be unified in that belief. That you would have fellowship with us. The real purpose is not that John would have fellowship and the people who were with John would have fellowship with those to whom he's writing. He says, rather, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If you do not have fellowship, close, mutual affection and and togetherness with Jesus Christ, you cannot have close, mutual affection, togetherness with the people of God. The sad reality is, throughout churches in America... And maybe even in right here, right now, because I don't know everybody, our people are sitting here who have no communion with the Father. None. Completely unregenerate. They come and they're doing a process and they're doing a thing. They're making a spouse happy. They're making this happy. Or whatever reason, but they're not coming here because they want to have fellowship with the Father and with one another. I hope that's not you today. I hope it's not. And if it is, if it is, I would implore you, I would encourage you, surrender to Jesus. Surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest 
possession you will ever have is Jesus himself. He says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Indeed, the fellowship that we have can only come from the Son and the Father. But he also says this, so that our joy may be complete. Now, that's not John being selfish. Maybe it is. I don't know. He says that our joy would be complete. He's saying our joy will be complete because we'll have joy in your joy being complete. Our joy is complete if your joy is complete. If you have real fellowship with the Father and the Son, you have joy and then we'll have joy because then we have something to connect us. We have something in which to be unified in. People can be unified in a cause. People, you know, how many people draw their lines upon Republican or Democrat? How many people draw their lines between the Jets, the Giants, or the Patriots? Good one. The Mets, the Yankees, whatever, right? And we'll draw lines. And people have arguments over these things. It's like life and death to them. And I think to myself, really? Really? You're going to have a fight over a football team? You're going to not talk? You're going to be angry at somebody over a football team? What's wrong with you? You have a low bar of things that have value. Oh, is it okay to you know, joke and jest? And I know I do all the time about the Mets and the Patriots. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to say, you know what? I really believe this way, and, and I, I, I am strong in my belief in here. As long as it lines up with the Bible, stand there. If it doesn't, hold it loosely. It doesn't matter. Let your reasonableness be known in those areas. But don't let your joy be on the line. Don't give it away. You know how you give joy away, confidence away? By wavering between beliefs. They're saying, oh, you know, looking at my circumstance, and I'm so overwhelmed. Yes, there's a bad health diagnosis. Yes, there's dire financial circumstances. Yes, the country's going down. And yes, persecution is coming. And yes, I'm lonely. And yes, this. And yes, that. But there's a greater yes. Jesus Christ is on the throne. And he is holding you in his hand. And his citizenship for you is where he is. And we're to fix our mind in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Are you thinking that way? You want joy? Think that way. Believe that way. Does it take work? Yes. Does it take training? Does it take discipline? Absolutely it does. How do you get that kind of joy? Well, John gives the procurement. The procurement for fellowship, for joy. And it repeats himself now a fourth time. This is the message we heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. John gives three ways, three steps, I would, maybe steps is the better way to put it, in which we can procure fellowship and joy in the Lord. First, he says, God is light. God is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. Now, we understand that Jesus Christ lives in unapproachable light. We also know, as we, this morning in our discipleship class, we know that Jesus, for His children, will transform His children so that we can actually approach His light. But when He says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness, we know that God is holy, that God is true, that no sin, no untruth within in God. But I think John has something greater in mind where he says that this light really means that God reveals. Light reveals things. Light, whatever is hidden, becomes known in the light. How many of you are very thankful for that little function on your phone called the flashlight? Right? Why? Because whatever, you're under the bed, you're under the cabinet, you're looking, you know, you get your phone out, and then you realize this is the worst flashlight in the world. Um, but you use it anyways. Because it reveals what you're looking for. It reveals maybe the steps you're taking. Light reveals. The word of God was made manifest. The revelation of God was given to you. Was given to you so that you would see your sin. So that you would see that in you and in me is not light, but darkness. And God doesn't do it just to go, man, I'm going to show you how bad you are. Isn't that how we are to people? Oh, yeah? You think I'm this? Well, you're, and we want to one-up one another. God doesn't do that. God makes himself known, reveals himself to us. His light breaks through, and we see our utter sin, our utter hopelessness. And in that, He allows us to see our sin and bring confession. To bring confession. Because He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an amazing verse. You know, that's not the monopoly get-out-of-jail card, by the way. It's not to be treated that way. When it says that we confess our sins, the light of God has been shown on us. I see how I've made something else an idol in my life. I valued something my own emotions, my own state of being, my whatever it is, my bank account, my this, my that, my hopes and my dreams, whatever it would be, that has become more valuable to me than right standing with Jesus Christ and my worship of Jesus Christ. 
And when I realize that, a true believer doesn't take that lightly. A true believer, when their sin is exposed, will repent. Will they do it again? Possibly. But they'll never say, have sin exposed, and go, that's eh, no big deal. Never. But they'll realize that God, in His love for them and His desire for fellowship with them, has revealed that which is standing in the way. And He says, if you confess your sin, I am faithful and I am just. And I'll forgive your sins and cleanse you. You know, forgive your sins, but I love the part, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The guilt that you feel when your sin is revealed, He removes that. So to ever walk around, I am just an unworthy servant. I am no good. Yeah, I confess, but Jesus, I just don't. To walk in guilt and shame is to walk in darkness. It's not walking in the light. John says we need to practice these things. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his Son cleanses us from all sins. How does one walk in the light? What does it mean to walk in the light as he is in the light? Well, he walks in light. He's in truth. The first way to walk in the light is to walk in obedience. Obedience is walking in the light. just makes sense, doesn't it? The second way in which we walk in the light, that if we're in obedience and we fall off the obedience trail, so to speak, we sin, we become disobedient, is to confess. Confession is walking in the light. There's a third way in which I believe that we can practice walking in the light. And I think many people struggle with it. I do. To walk in the light means to means believing the truth of what God says about you. Believing the truth of what God says about you. When you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling lonely, and you're feeling hopeless, go to Scripture. Go to the promises of God. Go to what God declares about you as His child. Let that overtake your thinking. Let that shape your heart and your mind and your emotions. And then Paul, as Paul says, and the God of peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It all begins with the foundation standing on this one truth that yes, John says, we proclaim to you that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have touched, the eternal life, which was from the beginning. That is true. 
But when you're feeling overwhelmed or when you've sinned, or, or you understand what I'm saying, when it seems that darkness is all around, bring yourself back to this fundamental truth. 2 Corinthians 5.21, perhaps my favorite verse in all of Scripture. That for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You're God's child. God says you are the righteousness of God. Because when you, when it, was, when it was revealed to you, when I shone my light abroad in your heart, and I revealed to you your sin, and you confessed and repented of your sin, what happened is an incredible exchange. You know, we go around and maybe we want to, you know, especially in today's rate, or, or, or you think of my son David, he goes to England, he wants to find the best exchange rate for American money to British pounds. The greatest exchange rate ever to happen to you happened in Jesus Christ. That you by confessing your sins and believing in the eternal word of life made manifest, came in and you cashed in your sins, so to speak. You brought your sin to the table. And you say, what am I going to get for this? What's it worth? It's worth Jesus Christ coming to this world, living, dying, and rising again. And out of that, He gives you His righteousness. There is no better exchange ever. Do you understand that, loved ones? Are you walking in the truth of that exchange? That because of that exchange, because my sin has gone to Christ, He willingly took it, and He willingly gives you His righteousness, so that even when you fall now, you sin now, you're His righteousness. Just confess, it's done. Don't live in guilt. Don't live in worry about your future. Don't live in loneliness. Don't live in, in being swayed by emotions because James tells us this, that the one who wavers in his mind expects nothing from God. Be firm in your thinking and in your belief. No, I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. That makes all the difference. That makes the future certain. Live with certainty, loved ones. Live in joy of God. The joy of the Lord is far better than the joy of this world. Communion tells us this. This is what this represents to us. That when you hold up the bread, you hold up the said that Jesus lived the perfect life for me. When you hold up the cup, it's Jesus saying, you are now my righteousness because of my blood. Hope you're encouraged. Don't live in discouragement as the world is going ever more crazy, as the world is ever going more evil, as the world is ever more enticing people to not believe the truth of the gospel, to say that you're a fool and you're an idiot and you're a bigot and you hate. Stand firm. And having done all that you can do to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. And what's the first piece you wear? 
the helmet of salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, may we be encouraged and strengthened in you. It's a work that you can do, and yet a work we also have to do. I think of David who had to encourage himself in the Lord. I also think of Elisha who needed to be encouraged.